Hey, this is Charmaine. And hey, this is Ricky of Gray Matters, the blog. This is a replay of one of our favorite episodes from season two. While we're preparing for season three, make sure to check out our Instagram page that's at Gray Matters, the blog, where we will release exclusive content for these episodes and sneak peeks into season three. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky, and welcome back to another episode of Gray Matters. Hi, everyone. This is Charmaine. We are discussing the digital humanities today with a very special guest, Dr. Kasare Abdulghani. Dr. Kasare Abdulghani is a assistant professor of African-American literature and studies at Syracuse University in the Department of African-American Studies. We're really excited to have her. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting Kasare at the NEMLA conference, which we have spoken extensively about, I feel, um, this season, but we really made some wonderful connections and had a great experience at NEMLA. So you're going to hear about it a little bit more. Um, but Cassare and Ricky and I all presented in the same panel. Um, and so we were really fascinated by Cassare's work. We thought it was really interesting and we wanted to share it with the Gray Matters community. So Cassare, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me, Charmaine and Ricky. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you. Um, so if you don't mind sharing with the Gray Matters community, can you um, explain a little bit more about your research and some of like what you do, what you teach at Syracuse? Um, and, and you're welcome to go into your own personal research and then also like the study that you presented on at the NEMLA conference? Sure. So I teach uh, African-American literature, 20th and 21st centuries. My research examines uh, racial unrest in US, read in US black literature, focusing on the black arts movement. And through my research and my teaching, I integrate digital humanities frameworks to help students engage with the, with the humanities. So my uh, presentation with uh, you all on the panel, I think it was titled Public Facing. Uh, mm -hmm. So that my project was focused on the works of Tony K. Bambara and how students understand her likeness on Instagram um, as a way to help with their analytical perspectives on her novel, The Salt Eaters. Yeah, can you, um, I know that digital humanities, I feel like it's this emerging um, study and emerging um, research. Can you go into a little bit more details for those listening who aren't quite sure what digital humanities is about what digital humanities or how you, I know we're in academia, right? So a lot of terms have so many definitions and we come across that a lot um, in a lot of our studies too, especially MWGS. But can you go into a little bit details on specifically how you see digital humanities and what it is and how it relates to new media literature? Sure. So I see the digital humanities as 
a pathway for students to learn educational technologies to enhance their competencies in the humanities. So that can be a number of things. So if we think about the digital, digital humanities has always been with us. Uh, 30 years ago, it was television and radio as a form of digital humanities that you know had educational programming, Sesame Street, right? That would help us learn our ABCs and one, two, threes. Well, in the academic sense, if we think about emerging educational technologies, we have now softwares uh, such as Esri Story Maps, or if we think about social media as an application for the digital humanities, such as Instagram, it helps us to create um, competencies that allow for students to engage with the technology, but also learn you know, something that is of the interest of the professor. So I use it as a way to connect with my students, meaning social media, for example. And I also introduce my students to literature that they may be unfamiliar with. And I merge the computer science aspect with the literary aspect to enhance their critical thinking and also to make them stronger writers and cultural critics of the work. I think that's a really, thank you for explaining that. I think that's a really You're important um, conversation to have. Um, I think oftentimes, especially in the grand scheme of things, um, in the grand scheme of academia and like the ivory tower, the humanities themselves and social sciences are often looked down upon as like not as important as, and they're kind of put in this hierarchy against STEM subjects. And yes. I think like work, like what you're doing and really highlighting the importance of the digital humanities and the fact that it has been in existence, like it's been around, um, is really important because it shows us how essential it is to have these types of studies, to study culture and, uh, to talk about the arts and sciences, uh, social sciences and humanities, um, and like these kind of broader liberal arts subjects in a way because they have very important, um, they have very important implications and connections. And it's it's studying these is as necessary as studying something in the STEM field. Um, I know that particularly for like a lot of BIPOC and marginalized communities, um, especially for like a lot of immigrant communities, I'm speaking for my own community, like it's like there's this um, overemphasis on STEM education because there seems to be this idea that that is the way to prosperity, to, to wealth. And you have to take this path to STEM in order to achieve that. And um, with that being said, I think oftentimes I'm not discounting at that as being something that's not true, but it's, it's what happens is that a lot of times those voices and those experiences get left out of the liberal arts um, and sciences uh, kind of studies and experiences and education. Um, so I really yes. love what you're doing, even just for that, like just for bringing awareness to these topics. And, and um, also I think it's really cool that you're finding a way to connect to your students, like through something like Instagram and social media, which you know, a lot of people think is like taking away, but uh, taking away from education or it's like a completely different path. But I like that you're kind of merging, merging these paths. Yes, because my students 
are into social media, you know? And Mm -hmm. so one way that I try to evolve so that I won't become a relic in, you know, in the classroom is to, you know, know what my students are into, Mm -hmm. what they like, so that I can create an engaging course that uh, isn't boring, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want to be bored yeah. just yeah. as well as the students <laughs> don't want to be bored. So social media has been helpful for me, even though, I mean, it's funny because I'm, I'm on social media, but not as someone that constantly, you know, mm-hmm. checks to, uh, engage in conversations on social media as we see many academics do. I don't do that. I have a family, I have a life. I'm an introvert in a lot of ways. I like Netflix, I want to enjoy my time. But I do see social media as a way to engage with my students, um, but also connect them back to the past in terms of, uh, cause I teach African-American studies, the Sankofa model. So always reaching back to your past in order to, you know, uh, give better sort of perspectives of your future and what that looks like. And so I think that by incorporating social media, it allows for me to remind students that what they're learning is not in isolation from what students of the 1960s who were learning about, you know, the same histories, right? The history of race, Mm -hmm. uh, studies of, you know, issues around empire, imperialism, or what have you. Those same things were happening in digital ways, like we've talked about. It was just through other mediums. So I'm really about connecting, engaging, and finding ways to always stay relevant while also providing the historical narrative to guide students, you know, along the way. Yeah, wow, yes. I think that that is so important, Um, everything you just said, and specifically um, when you discuss engaging with students, because um, I had the opportunity to start um, my graduate assistantship in our program oh, which okay. is a whole story it's a whole yes it is it is a program and a teach and are you the sole instructor um no so I'm the okay assistant. well thank god for that <laughs> <laughs> yes so I'm I'm the assistant and I um so with our program I, I have been wanting to GA since the master's but because of funding our program you can't GA until you start until you go to get your doctoral um, degree. Okay. Um, and so my first time being in a higher educational classroom, our classroom was during COVID when COVID hit. Okay. So everything mm-hmm. got pushed online and there were so many conversations about how to engage with students, especially since, um, so our courses, um, women and gender studies courses at TWU are a requirement for all students. And typically, when oh that's course, great yes exactly I was like oh this is so great which that I could go on a whole tangent about <laughs> the like hierarchical background to that but I won't I'll save that for a different conversation um and go back to my main point but 
there were continuous conversations about how to engage students, how to keep students engaged, especially since we are all online, right? A lot of times we're, we're not even on Zoom, we're specifically online via discussion board and yes. that's pretty much it. And um, in the back of my head, I kept thinking about what your presentation, Digital Humanities, and how even more important as we, as the framework are, you know, as academia, because there's this constant conversation about return to normal, normalcy, right? Normalcy, yes. normalcy, that word, uh, words sometimes trick me up, but there's this constant conversation. But when I think about academia and our space, in our spaces, I don't think we are going to reach a point back to where we used to be. And I think in order for us to continuously engage with new um, with new generations, we are going to have to evolve and we are going to have to um, kind of investigate different ways to keep these students engaged because I'm seeing a lot of the future generations, the digital humanities is, is so important because the digital space, including social media, is not only where they like person, not only where they like post, like, you know, social media isn't what it used to be when it first came out, where it's just a way to connect with friends. For a lot of these individuals, it's their work. It's, it's their, their brand. Yes, it's their brand. It's their whole livelihoods. So I feel like in, in a way, academia has to kind of evolve to kind of meet them in the spaces where, where they are. Um, I think about, so I did marketing and PR. I'm get, trying to get back into marketing and PR, but I, way back when I was an undergrad, we started okay. studying social media marketing and it was still new. It was still new to the, to the game. People still were kind of iffy about it. People were like, I don't know about that. Like, what do I need to like, no, I'm still gonna do my print, my print right. advertisement. I'm still gonna have yes. my billboards, et cetera, et cetera. But now fast forward almost 10 years later, right? Oh scary almost 10 years later social media marketing for a lot of companies is their entire marketing budget they spend their entire marketing budget on social media and on digital marketing practices so I use that example just to see how over the years the digital space has become a primary space for a lot of individuals even we see now, even what gray matters, the blog, and I'll wrap this up because I ramble, but that's where people get their education from, which is why we started gray matters, the blog, because we saw that people go on social media to learn about um, what's going on. They go on social media to learn about feminism. They go on social media to learn about intersectionality, not even realizing it came from Kimberly Crenshaw, but that's a whole, (laughs) that's a whole ramble I could have, (laughs) but they go on these spaces and we thought, wow, if people are turning to these spaces to learn, we should at least provide them factual information about the the topics that they're learning because people look at a 60 second TikTok and learn about, I don't know, the history right. of the royal family and that's it. That's all they want, That they yep. that's all they need, you know? And so I think in academia, we need to evolve and develop uh, pedagogical practices and develop practices to kind of meet 
the generations where they are. I agree. I absolutely agree. And it's funny that you talk about TikTok videos because in my Black women writers class, just this semester, um, several weeks ago, a student presented on how uh, women of color are innovators on TikTok mm-hmm. and how they, you know, teach Black history on TikTok. Now, I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know. But through my Black women writers class, where they, you know, could select topics on what they, you know, wanted to discuss, I learned something. I learned something in exchange for them learning about, you know, uh, feminist, you know, ideologies, where does Black feminist thought stem from? And so it was a great exchange of knowledge, various Mm -hmm. epistemologies that I appreciated. Yes. So, don't get on the TikTok spiral. I mean, you can, but when I first, <laughs> I was totally against TikTok. I was like, that is not for me. I had my time. I'll let the kiddos have their time. But then I got on there and the first night I was on there for four hours straight. And oh I was my like, goodness. Four literally, yeah, four, well, it I goes by so fast. It's crazy. Up and it was, it was midnight. And I was like, wait a minute, what's, what's happening? Because you kind of go on this spiral and my spiral of course was was education and learning I was learning all of these different things that myself I didn't even know I was like oh wow this is this is interesting because you have historians like black historians black artists going into details about the history of um certain artists and the history of um of for example there was this one video about Sally Hemings and I went on a whole spiral of videos and then I was like, Charmaine, we need to do an episode about this. And it was inspired by a TikTok um, Hmm. because the historian went into details, um, factual details about Sally Hemings and her story. And of course, um, exposing the terrible actions of Thomas Jefferson. If you're listening to this, you don't know about the founding fathers, listen to that episode and we can have a different conversation. But um, yes, uh, that episode was inspired from me being on TikTok for four hours. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's such a it's such an interesting space because these are 60 second videos, but people are learning so much in one minute um, mm-hmm. and, and their attention is grasped throughout that whole one minute because some people have part 15 videos so then you have a 15 minute lecture almost I I think it's a lecture like so that's mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. now we see uh in the you know outside of the academy Mm -hmm. we see this sort of increase of uh different private companies and and also you know public companies that are interested in academics and their work to increase their own brand. Um, I'm thinking of the sites such as academia.edu, which has courses now where Mm -hmm. you can, you know, learn about how to write a paper or, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the other one. It's U-D-E-M-Y. I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce that correctly, but a lot of their um, content is focused on the sciences, the hard science, 
hard sciences and learn in terms of learning how to um, uh, how do you become a software developer in you know an hour? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. But I wonder, so the other side of it, right? It's great that we're using these educational technologies. It's it's great that we are, you know, embarking upon a moment where we can, you know, use uh, social media such as TikTok to engage, you know, larger populations that may not have access to the academy. But what does it mean for us as academics who, you know, put a lot of labor into this work and, you know, don't reap the benefits mm-hmm. of said labor. That's <clears throat> something that I'm very interested in as th- this continues to grow, as this digital humanities moment continues to grow, but also as the as the world globally continues to implement new educational technologies for, you know, expanded learning outside of the academy. I think that's a really interesting point and a really important one. And you're absolutely right, because I think that there is this uh, kind of, I don't want to say new or, or growing maybe, because I think it's been around for a long time, as long as there's been academia, like this idea that, oh, you don't need to go to college. Like you're wasting your money when you go to college. I had numerous people say this to me when they found out I was joining my master's program because I took a break after undergrad. Um, and I had a lot of people, I had, I had a career, like, well, I still have a career, but you know, I'm, I'm a makeup artist. And so I'd have a lot of people say to me, oh, um, you know, just in talk or it, it would somehow come up. And a lot of people would say, why are you wasting your money? You're doing what? You're doing gender studies, multicultural. What does that even mean? Why you have a, you have, you're a makeup artist. You have clients. You're like, you have a full career. And I, and in many ways I had to step back from my career a little bit to do school, obviously. And this is a very intensive program and I was happy to do it, but it's like, and for me, it was just, I never had an easy answer, but like, I think that there's such, there's still so much importance in going to school, getting a degree, kind of doing it in this traditional, and I say traditional in quotes, way, because um, while the digital humanities and social media can provide us with a lot of really valuable information, I think there's still a lot missing, especially with within like the, you know, quick sound bites that we're getting. Um, there's a lot of really, really wonderful, valuable information on TikTok, on Instagram, on social media, even on these platforms that you were mentioning, um, Casper, like it's so funny you said about academia.edu because I got an email from them saying your name has been mentioned in this paper. Unlock now, uh, you know, 50% off premium to see who's been mentioning your name. And I'm like, why would somebody mention my name about a paper that I like randomly, you know, somebody had published a paper on a topic that I found interesting. And so I downloaded it to read later. I don't even think I've opened it up, but I just was like, this is interesting. I'm like, so I have to pay to act. like, I don't know. It was just, I mean, yes, you have to pay to access material. So I'm not, I'm not discounting like their, their model, but I just found it really interesting. And I think with the growth of like this um, emphasis on taking courses outside of an institution, outside of a um, four year or like a four year institution, but doing it through something um, that's like an online digital platform. It's really interesting to me because I'm wondering like what's missing. And, And Ricky and I also talk about this a lot too, with like 
social media. Like you mentioned it, Ricky, with like the intersectionality, like it's kind of used as a buzzword and it's thrown in. And um, I think that there's a lot of really wonderful creators and um, the creators that, that are academics, that are scholars and theorists who are putting their work out there. And it's amazing because I love hearing people engage in these conversations, but also on the same hand, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are missing people that are maybe providing information that don't have the full information themselves. Like they're reading something from somewhere and they're like, Ooh, let me make a video about this. And they're reading like a Wikipedia page and they're making a video. And I'm not again, like putting down any creators. I think what they're doing is important, but at the same hand, it just goes back into like why it's so important to have to do research, to learn about what you're going to talk about it. So if you're going to go out there and put a video about whatever it may be, and all you read was a Wikipedia page and you didn't read any of the cited sources and you didn't read anybody, you know, any of like the theorists behind that work, that could be problematic, but it's like two sides to this coin. Right. And I think that's something that Ricky and I are really conscious of too. When we put things out there is like, that's why we have the resources page on our website. That's why we do the research. Um, because we think it's important to come at this from like a very, like, you know, educated for lack of better words, but like an informed, an informed perspective. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's so important to, to, Cassara, you mentioned this too, um, to, especially in academic spaces, right? We, I feel like we're in this world where people, like you said, people doing the work in academia, right? will get like six people to read their work, right? And then you have people outside of academia who I'm not going to say take from who are speaking on a certain topic. And like Sherman said, the, the resources used are not always credible and they get more spotlight than someone who has dedicated their, their careers, their livelihood to doing the research. And I think that that um, kind of like the, um, one of the biggest things I see that needs to continue to be eliminated is checking your resources, taking an extra step to um, verify those resources. And, and, and if you are going to speak on a topic, find some people who have dedicated their livelihoods in research and kind of shine light on their perspectives and, and what they're saying and listen, listen to what they're saying. Um, because uh, I mean, I think Charmaine and I talk about this before. We live in such a fast paced world where everyone wants things very, very quick, right? They're like, I want my burger in like 60 seconds. I want my, um, I want to learn this skill in 60 seconds. And Castro, you mentioned this too. And a lot of times people are like, I want to learn fem feminism in 60 seconds. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> do you not know? Like I'm in my third course about feminism and I still don't know. I still don't have a concrete definition. Like I've written papers and I still can't be like, this is the definition in like 60 seconds. And the same with womanism or even black feminist thought. Like I took a whole class on black feminist thought and I'm still like, well, um, it could be this, that in between, you know? And I think that um, the, the, the message is a lot of times we have to slow down, take a moment, do some research, do some like reflection before we just immediately jump on um, like something that's very, very quick. Not to say we can't have 
you know, 60 second videos, not to say we can't have these tools and resources, but I think along with these tools and resources, we also need to have, um, we talked about this before in episodes, I call it media literacy, but I feel like we need to have like social media literacy and like digital humanities literacy in order for us to step back and not just consume everything, but to digest what we're consuming, analyze what we're consuming, and sometimes even critique what we are consuming on a daily basis. Yeah, and in in the academic world, what you're saying, I mean, there's there's a name for it, and it's called information communication communication technologies where you are, you know, learning the pedagogy so that you can express those outcomes through said technology. And so you're right, Ricky, in terms of there's a process with that. You know, you have to, you have to sit with it. You have to critically think and analyze it. You have to have learning objectives. So that's where, you know, education is very important that, you know, these digital mediums are, you know, they can serve as, um, you know, they can serve as text to help us get to, you know, the learning and the thinking. But I, I would say that you still need that teacher, that, that person or, you know, groups of teachers that can guide you along the way in learning and involving your thinking um, that that's attached to it too. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because I think that it connects to our conversation that we've had about the importance of like work within academia, like how there's so many people that are interested in pursuing academia, but yet there's less and less jobs available. There's less and less job and career prospects. And I think what you said is so important because we need professors, we need teachers, we need people with more perspectives. And as we have more people studying these things in brighter populations, unfortunately, we're seeing less availability and job opportunities within teaching, within academia. And that's really frustrating, especially if you're in the program. Um, Like, Ricky mentioned in our program, um, it's a wonderful program. I thoroughly enjoyed my time, Um, but it's not great that your teaching opportunities are limited. That's really problematic actually, because then you're limiting those job prospects for people that are graduating from within your program. Um, And in many ways, you're not properly and adequately equipping them for the job market. Um, And so yeah, there does seem to be this disconnect between the the studies themselves and like the the fields I should say like the fields themselves and the job markets and what graduates are able to to go into and yeah it's so important to have teachers and 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 instructors and educators that um, can really guide this material yes yeah I'm 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 thinking and I'm hoping because. I mean, we see this in MWJS, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have like a side thing. There, there's been an an um, a rise in diversity and inclusion and all of these things that we study, right? There's a there's a there's a peak rise in it where companies, and I'm seeing this everywhere, where companies are like hiring all of these representatives, 
And, but, but what I'm seeing is they don't, and I'm not discrediting people who, you know, want to get experience in that work. But what I'm seeing is there's not a focus on people who have spent years studying and, and learning about, um, for example, social justice and the history of racism, sexism in this country and, and, uh, and globally even. And, and a lot of, I feel like a lot of the knowledge and skills that we learn as academics can be applied in a corporate setting. But what you're seeing is that there's this disconnect between um, academics and, and scholars and people who have research and opportunities in corporate. Because what you see is people just, I'm just gonna say it, they hire the token person. They look for that one black person in a corporate space and they're like, you, promotion to diversity and inclusion specialist. And just because a person is a person of color, right? Um, are from a marginalized community doesn't necessarily mean that those skills and knowledges aren't innately in us to be diversity inclusion representatives and for a corporation or even for an institution because this is the same in academia and institutions and I think that like Charmaine said you see this across fields especially in the humanities too because there is such a devaluement sometimes of the humanities and of social sciences and there is a I feel like a mistranslation on the value of social sciences in academic spaces but also outside of academic spaces and what it looks like to use your humanities degree or social science degree outside of academic spaces and like I mentioned sometimes even within academic spaces right um it can be kind of um, lost in translation about the different degrees. And I think that speaks to the hierarchical system that we've mentioned too before, where, and Charmaine mentioned this too, where um, a lot of times, for lack of better words, hard sciences are more valued than social sciences. And that, that kind of um, trickle downs to the digital humanities too. And uh, even if you are going to do research, for example, like my research is in media studies and people still like are like, what? You're going to study, you're going to watch a TV show and you're going to write about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do because we need people to do that because we sit here watching the media all the time, but we're not researching and analyzing it. And I think that this speaks to like our societal, like larger view of what we value who we value and what and how and what we place value in. And, mm -hmm. and that speaks largely to this greater hierarchical system. I just said a lot of words there. That was a whole ramble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say that one, or there are many ways that, you know, as, folk who are interested in the humanities, right? Mm -hmm. Who center that in our work. I think that if we know what our talents are, what our gifts are, uh, what our purpose is. And so that's what I always, you know, I'm interested in, 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 in terms of 
teaching my students that also as well as for myself. That's why I teach Tony K from Barr because she's always making it about the people, about the community, but also purpose. And so when we think about our purpose and your talents, your God-given talents, in what ways can you use those talents to make a difference in the world? That seems cliche, I know. But if we're thinking about the digital humanities or if we're thinking about educational technologies in general, in what ways can we integrate our own talents using technology to enhance, you know, whether it's students, whether it's, you know, a general, general audience of, of book club readers, you know, in what ways can we use our talents to enhance their learning? So when you say, Ricky, that, you know, you're interested in digital, you know, media and media studies, yes, that is important and writing scholarship about that. And also considering, you know, what technologies are out there that can help you to, you know, distribute your message to the masses. So a technology that I use is iSpring Suite. I'm not gonna give them any promo, but they're good at, you know, expanding your PowerPoint presentations and doing different things that can um, enhance, you know, students' competencies in the humanities or whatever type, or in social sciences, whichever lane that you wanna go into. So when thinking about the digital humanities in terms of how I, you know, implement it in my daily life, in my daily professional life, I'm always thinking about how I can use my creativity because I'm a creative, okay? I, I'm very much a creative. I'm always thinking of how to create. So I use these technologies on how to create course curriculum, on how to create um, uh, projects that, you know, can really make the student be a creator as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm going to write this paper. Because in reality, students wait to the last minute to write a paper. Mm -hmm. So how can I get them excited about writing the paper, you know, while still achieving the objectives of the course? That's where technology is useful for me to help them get the project done. So I think if we think about it in that way, um, you know, and using our, our, our God-given talents for, you know, the ways to think about incorporating the digital humanities into our professional lives, I think we will see more opportunities. But we have to show that it's possible because on the other side of the, of, you know, thinking about the hard science hard sciences, how they get money, and professional and business schools, we have to know that, you know, this is run by the global markets, right? Education is run by the global markets. You know, these um, various global entities put money into what they think is going to sell. And so mm -hmm. I'm not saying to sell yourself. I'm saying to have integrity. But what I'm also saying 
is that, you know, go beyond your own um, expertise to see what else is out there to merge your expertise with other, you know, happenings. And in this case, we can use technology to do that. Wow. Thank you. That is what a wonderful um, takeaway. (laughs) I just, we try to uh, kind of, I don't want to say end on a positive takeaway, but sometimes end on a positive takeaway because, um, or try to do that without maybe using those terms, because I think, I think it is really important. Sometimes it's in, in, in when we have these conversations and like these difficult conversations, which we often have on gray matters, it can feel a little hopeless, especially for, you know, a lot of academics out there and people that are really interested in doing this work. So I really, I, I appreciate that because I think that is really important. I think that there are a lot of platforms that they can seem very overwhelming. I'm speaking from a very personal place here. Um, they can seem really overwhelming, but there are ways to um, incorporate creative platforms into your research and into your work. And um, yeah, I, I just, I'm like, I'm as you were speaking, I was just thinking about your students and like how amazing it must be to be one of your students, because I think that what you're doing is really, it's really great. And I really hope that if you are at Syracuse University, if you have the opportunity to try to take a class with Dr. Cesare Aldogani. Yeah, we, yeah, we want you to keep doing what you're doing because it's amazing. And, and um, if you're a student, let us know how, mm-hmm. how it's been in your experience. Um, Cause I, I especially love the Tony Cade Bambara project 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 because I just love her as a novelist and really appreciate her work. And um, I, I love and appreciate when uh, educators highlight these awesome um, theorists and writers. So I think that's really cool too. And we will, um, I think we'll, we'll link to the salt eaters as well on our resources mm-hmm. page, because that's such an important text. I think everyone should, should read that at least once. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, inviting me to this great podcast. I've been thoroughly enjoyed the conversation today. Awesome. Thank you. Likewise. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been um, absolutely amazing. Um, And for those listening, we will definitely link um, to all of the resources we mentioned. We'll also link to um, Dr. Cassare's Instagram page too, if you want to learn more about her work. Um, and like Charmaine said, if you are at Syracuse, take a class. I mean, I wish I could enroll in Syracuse right now. And Same. Take class. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so yeah, and if you have, like Charmaine said, let us know. And if you're interested too, let us know too. And we would love to connect you um, to those opportunities. Um, but as always, stay safe, everyone. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.